Now listen to me very carefully. An effective prayer life. An effective prayer life. Now I, I, I want to talk this content, this, this, this teaching. I don't, I don't want to preach it. I don't want to teach it. I don't want to stylize it. I just want to talk it. Hmm? An effective prayer life is one that makes you grow. One that makes you grow in the experience of the reality of your union with God. That's an effective prayer life. How do you know your prayer life is effective? It's when it helps you grow in your experience of the reality of your union with God. Your union with God is already real. It's already a reality. But the purpose of an effective prayer life is to make you experience that reality. A good prayer life is not a prayer life that beats records. You see, there are people whose prayer lives beat records. They have beaten all fasting records. They have beaten all, all prayer length records. But they've not beaten intimacy records. You see, I have seen some religious people who could, who could pray, oh man of God. I've seen people who could pray. I have seen people who can brag about the number of days they have fasted for the year, but you don't see any power manifesting in their lives. When I take a two-day fast, two days, two, when, just two days, when I take a two-day fast, then I don't do anything else. I just sit in one place for two days. Just two days, when I come out of that, effects are undisputed. You can't two days. So you can fast for 40 days and you're not effective. So an effective prayer life is not a prayer life that beats records (laughs) for the sake of it. Sometimes it will beat records. But that's not the purpose of it. Do you get what I'm saying? So the focus of your prayer life should be how much it helps you experience the reality of who God is to you and of who you are in Him. The reality of that union. You see... Don't also be in the group of people who say, Oh, I'm already one with God. I'm already one with God, so I don't even need to pray. Stupidity. Stupid. What's the point of being one with Him already if you don't experience the reality of that union? And that's the purpose of prayer. Prayer doesn't make you convince God to do anything for you. The purpose of prayer is not to bribe the Father. Uh, 
like sometimes, sometimes we unconsciously think that we can blind God. Do you remember those situations where maybe in, in your heart of hearts, you know the Spirit of God is leading you to do something. Leading you to forsake a relationship. But now you come in, you know, in your moment of prayer. And you try to bribe the Father. You try to bribe the Holy Ghost. With some targeted worship. (laughs) So don't be among the ones who pray for the sake of praying. Who pray to bid records. Who pray to impress other people and to impress themselves. But don't also be among those who say we have it all already. Jesus has done it all. Because I don't know anybody who talks like that in this world who is really doing anything spectacular with God. You get what I'm saying? So what's the purpose of prayer? The purpose of of prayer is to make you experience the fullness of what Christ has already made available for you. And make you go into the reality of that. You see, in an effective prayer life, the presence of God becomes real. The presence of God is a fact in the life of every believer. But some people have the reality of that presence. You can't allow your walk with God to just be factual. You also need it to be real. I don't want just factual presence. (laughs) I will be with you forever. I live in you. It's it's not enough. If you live in me, then I must be, I I, I, I want it to be so real, then I can overcome the challenges of life. Otherwise, what's the point? What's the point of bragging about him being in me if I can't defeat things that are outside of me? How can you have God in you and what is out of you beats you? So you need to awaken to your need for prayer. And to your need, you need to acknowledge your need. That, Father, I am not experiencing the reality of what you have made available for me. That's the starting point of all the greatest spiritual adventures. When you realize... That you are not walking in what you should walk in. When you're not walking in what you could be walking in. That's the starting point of every major spiritual adventure. Do you hear what I'm saying? So through prayer, 
through effective prayer, through real prayer, the presence of God becomes more and more real. His truth that you already knew comes alive. I know a lot of believers who know a lot of truths, but those truths are dead. Those truths are dead in their lives. They're not alive. You see, you know that the truth has become alive, not when you shout, when you hear it from the preacher. You know that that truth has become alive when the power of that truth begins to manifest consistently in your life. For example, I always like taking this simple scripture. He that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. But many of us are still afraid. So this is one simple truth that we all know up here. And at times we can shout about it. But we can still get afraid. When that truth becomes alive in you, there's no way you can be afraid. How can you be afraid? Do you know the story of Smith Wigglesworth? Of how the devil appeared physically in his room. Physically. In those days when they didn't have electrical light. Satan came into his room. Physically. Some of you, even after claiming that, ah, Satan is a non-entity. If the man appears in your room, you first of all tremble. <laughs> Because when you hear it from the preacher and, you know, when the preacher is dishing out those revelations, you know, you're exposed. Ah, ah. You know, but enforcing that reality is where, is where, is where the real, yeah, that's, that's where the real issue is. Smith Wigglesworth, Satan appeared in his room physically. He knew the same thing that you already know. That this man has been crushed. Jesus triumphed over... You already know. Smith Wigglesworth knew the same Colossians 2.15 that you know. He knew those same verses. He knew that he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. He didn't know something you don't know. Similar knowledge, but very different (laughs) results. Very different experience. The History says that when this man saw the devil, he was on his bed. And all of a sudden, Satan appeared in his room, moved his bed physically while he was sleeping. So he woke up, put these, you know, these traditional lanterns. He switched it on, he put the light. He makes like this, looking in the dark. Who is he in this room? Who moved my bed? In this room. And then he sees a figure. He says, Satan, is you. Put my bed back. Satan puts the bed back. He does not cast him out. He climbs on the bed, pulls his blanket, and sleeps. Oh, Karusia Palekete. He had gotten to that place 
where he knew that I don't even need to pray for this. I don't, I don't, I don't even need to cast him out. He can do nothing to me. But you, you have that same knowledge. But small demon will still oppress you at night. At, at times you have your, that, that small dream where, where you want to call the name of Jesus is not coming out. <laughs> Do you know the difference? Do you know the difference? It's the reality of your fellowship with God. There is nothing any demon or Satan and all of them combined can do to a believer. Nothing. There is no contest. There is no contest. But yet sometimes believers are defeated by demons. Defeated by situations of life. Do you know what's the problem? An ineffective or inexistent prayer life. When your prayer life is effective, the vision of His splendor changes you. That's why I like that song. When I'm on my knees, I can see clearly. In the place of prayer, your vision becomes clear. You can't pray really for one year and you don't begin to see more clearly. In business, you begin to see more clearly. In marriage, you begin to see more clearly. In ministry, you begin to see more clearly. Because you can't become intelligent with God and be dumb with life. The vision of God, the sight of God, seeing God, increases your ability to appraise other things of life better. The vision of His splendor changes you deeply until you begin to resemble Him experientially in your walk and character. And His power that is embedded in your regenerated spirit begins to gradually permeate the physical aspects of your being. The physical aspects of your being. Spending time in fellowship with God affects your body. Do you know that? <laughs> there, there, there comes a time when it begins to permeate the physical aspects of your being. What I'm saying, what I'm, I'm just giving you the introduction, but the introduction has the seven points in the introduction. And then I begin to call the, six, the seven points out. You can't pray really and not change really. Yes. 
You can't pray really and not change really. <laughs> Whenever I realize that I begin to have a short temper, I just have to admit to myself that these days I've not been praying. When I realize that, you know, my wife will make a statement or something, and, and I quickly, you know, I become easily irritated. I am normally not an easily irritated person. But I know myself. And so there is a level of, in quotes, easy irritation. That may not be considered easy irritation for some of you. <laughs> but for me, it is considered easy irritation. When I become, when I discover that I become easily irritated, When I saw some of, some of those reactions, I just have to admit to myself that Holy Ghost, I've been, I've just been negligent these days with my fellowship with you. Because in the knowledge of God, there is stillness. God told Moses, be still and know. It's not possible to know God deeply and not control certain aspects of your, of, of, of your emotional, relational, psychological life. You can't be angry all the time when you know God. <laughs> nah. <laughs> can't be angry all the time when your fellowship with God is alive. You hear what I'm saying? So that was the introduction to just give you an overview. So let's see if we can take even just two. <laughs> Out of the seven signs that you are not praying. Or that you are praying but doing it wrongly. Because there are two categories. Those with an inexistent prayer life and those with an ineffective prayer life. They pray but ineffectively. They do it wrongly. And then there are those who do not even pray at all. Alright? And we all have our low moments. You heard me talk about the times when I begin to see some changes in my, in the shortness or length of my temper. I was acknowledging that there are also moments when I become weak in prayer. There are moments when I become negligent in prayer. So when it happens to you, don't feel condemned, don't feel guilty, don't think it is a situation that is unique to you. You get what I'm saying? So be encouraged. And everything that I will say next is simply to stir you up and stimulate you. So that whenever you find yourself in a, in a low place in your prayer life, you always have the strength and the courage to bounce back. 
Hallelujah. So number one sign, you are not praying. <laughs> number one sign, you are not praying. You don't enjoy prayer. That's the first sign. You don't like and enjoy prayer. First sign you're not praying, you don't like and enjoy prayer. It's really because you're not praying, because those who are really praying enjoy it. <laughs> and those times of your life when you really pray, you enjoy it. It's only boring at first, just that little time that it takes for your flesh to give way to the Spirit. And that is why a lot of people don't understand the importance of prolonged prayer. Some people think that in the name of knowledge, prayer, five minutes is enough, you know. When you really know, you don't need to pray long. Stupidity. Jesus asked his disciples. Jesus did not just know. Jesus was knowledge. He says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus was the knowledge of the Father. He didn't just know. He was knowledge. And he asked his disciples, could you not pray with me even one hour? So it means that Jesus, in his own case, being the Son of God, at a time when he was the only one who had that appellation. Of course, now we know that he is no longer the only begotten. After the cross, he became the firstborn. Before the cross, he was the only begotten. After the cross, he became the firstborn among many brethren. So we should no longer be calling Jesus the only begotten. He is no longer the only begotten. You are the, you are the other begotten too. So at the time when he was the only begotten, he could ask people, can you not pray with me even, even? He says, can you not pray even, even? One hour. And then one day I asked the Holy Spirit, why one hour? And he told me that one hour is the time that it takes most people to get out of the flesh into the Spirit. So that is why when you stop praying and you resume, or when you start praying for the first time of your life, one hour feels like forever. Have you had those times when you ah, ah, you look at what, at your watch? Only 10 minutes. You're like, Chineke. The first time in my life that I decided that I'm going to pray for one hour. It felt like forever. I had the impression I had prayed for two days. How many of you have had that experience? You look at your, time is not passing. Chai. You're like, ah, king of glory. You know why it, you know why it feels like that? Because you're still in the flesh at that time. You see, prayer is not a carnal experience. And sometimes you need to stay until you, until the flesh gives way to the spirit. When the spirit takes over, 
At times you spend that same one hour in prayer and you have the impression you just spent five minutes. So first sign you're not praying. that you don't enjoy prayer. It's boring, it's difficult. It's not pleasurable. Psalm 16, verse 11. It says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are what? Pleasures. Pleasures, pleasures forevermore. So there are times when you will travail in prayer, there are times when you will cry in prayer, and there are times when you will laugh in prayer. But whether you travail, cry, or laugh, it's pleasurable. You feel alive. Have you, have you, have, have you had some of those moments when you had such a heavy burden and as you discharged it in the presence of God, even though you were in tears, you felt revived. You feel alive. He says, you will show me the path of life. You will show me the path of life. For God's life to become a reality, it's in that place of His presence. Amen. In your, right, in your right hand are pleasures. Pleasures. Not boredom. And so what is the cure for this first sign that you're not praying? Pray until it becomes enjoyable. You see, you learn to love prayer, not by being taught about prayer, but by starting to pray. And while you are at it, while you are doing it, while you spend that time seeking to know Him better, to love Him better, to experience Him more. What was boring at first becomes almost an addiction. So the moments when you pray a lot, you always feel like praying. When you are talking with people, you get bored. You want to retreat and be alone with the Father. Because when you begin to pray a lot, and if, I mean, if it's an effective prayer life, not prayer life that is there to beat records so that you can impress people, but when you are really in fellowship with God, when your prayer life is really the kind that is transformational, You look forward to it. During those times, times I don't, during those times I don't like visitors. I want visits to end quick. I think one thing I, I need to start doing in 2019, because sometimes visitors can kill your prayer life. Oh. I'm telling you, 
I, I remember at one point in time, I remember there was a time that I had a, my PA. Uh, uh, I, I think it was Yvonne in those days, yes, before Bernice. In my PA in the office, in my businesses, not my African PA. So the ones who was with me every day in the office. Uh, one, 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 one day I told Yvonne that, okay, do you know that, you, you know, I have a, a loving, you know, I, I, I love giving myself to people. So at times when you come to my office, if there are some pages that if they are open, I can pour myself into even for two hours. So, but at times it's also a problem. Because I have things to do. My, I'm, I have to move forward with my day. And so I told Yvonne, whenever somebody walks into the office, you start timing. If 30 minutes elapse, just walk in and remind me of the next thing we have to do. Uh, but sir, there's this thing that we have to do at 12. There's this appointment you have. There's this. So the person just understands that I'm not driving you. <laughs> I'm not sending you away. I'm not driving you away, but <laughs> we've got stuff to do. But you know, sometimes you will not have a personal assistant to do that for you. Sometimes you have to be, sometimes you have to choose to put people in discomfort. Because you, you, you can't realize your full potential with God if you are afraid to inconvenience people at times. You get what I'm saying? So my target for 2019 is that I should expedite the average visitor or the average visit in 15 minutes. 15 minutes. You come to my office, 15 minutes. Our issue must be solved. 15 minutes. Amen. Because sometimes we have a lot of people to meet. 15 minutes. Hallelujah. I have my close people, close collaborators, and depending on the day too, then we can spend a little more time. But if you find me on those days. So some of you, when you come to Yaoundé, when you come to my office now, so just know that you come there, already know what you want to tell me, what you want us to discuss. We discuss it quick. Amen. I also don't like long calls. There are only very few people that I can talk over the phone for more than five minutes. Very few. It's my ministry collaborators asking me. That's why I don't like bush callers calls. As we have some brothers abroad, they say, oh, can I call you? I say, no, send me an audio note on WhatsApp. I refuse phone calls from bush because those people think that we don't have, that we have the whole day here, that we have time. No, I don't have time. I don't have time. Hallelujah. I live in a, I live in a wicked environment. I don't have time to be wasted. Talking with a bush follower for one hour. For what? Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Jesus. So certain things are reserved for for certain people. At times I can meet my friends like this, like Pastor. We can we can spend the whole day because those are moments of blessings, moments of being of building each other up. And those moments don't even happen every. We are, we are, in fact, we are still looking for the opportunities. <laughs> Hallelujah. Sign number two. And that's where we'll end. We can only look at two. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll get that teaching. I thank God for... I know that the Lord will give me grace to, to do a good job of doing a good recording of that. Or if I can't, then maybe the next encounter retreat in Yaoundé, I'll give the full, the full teaching there. It's always good to have a live audience. <laughs> Amen. So I was saying that I think in 2019, maybe I need to start doing what Smith Wigglesworth was doing, the, the secret to that, man, to that man's constant experience of the reality of God's power. Because Smith Wigglesworth has had one of the most amazing power ministries in history. And the key, the secret of that man was the multiplication of his prayer moments. There's one thing I've learned. It is good to pray once. It's better to pray twice. It's better to pray, to pray, to pray thrice. It's better to pray four times. It's better. You get what I'm saying? One, uh, two hours in the morning and then nothing until the next day. It's not as good as one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening, or one hour in the afternoon. It's not as good. Because when you shorten the duration between this time of... Of course, you can be praying throughout the day, you know, in the taxi, you know, we can fellowship with God at all times. But none of that replaces those moments where you retreat and you are alone. It can't replace that. And in fact, those moments will not even be that effective. You can't fellowship with God effectively throughout your daily activities when you have not learned to, first of all, focus on God. During solitary moments. It's when you've had a lot of those solitary moments. Sometimes I can be speaking with you, and at the same time that I'm speaking with you, talking and laughing, at that that same time, God is telling me some things. I'm, I'm asking God some questions. We are talking, but I'm also talking with my father. But you can't do that if you have not learned the solitary moments of prayer. So that balance must always be there. Let nobody tell you that, no, fellowship with God at all times. You don't need to lock yourself up in a place. It's a lie. And so the, the, the strength, the secret of Smith Wigglesworth, he understood the power of, of, you know, shortening the distance between two periods of prayer. 
You get what I'm saying? Because when you have, many of you have experienced this. When you just had one good moment of prayer in the morning, you are so conscious of the presence. When you go out there, you know, dream, but as you keep going through your day, that consciousness reduces. It reduces, it reduces. <laughs> it keeps reducing. When you have just prayed and you were overwhelmed, you have had a good time of worship. You have worshipped the Father. You have been, you have soaked in His presence. You have fellowship with the Holy Ghost. God has spoken to you. Some words that you meditated upon came alive. When you just walk out of there, even if somebody slaps you, you just say, you're blessed. You, you can easily forgive. <laughs> because you are still, you're fresh from the reality of his presence. So the consciousness of his presence is still very high. You can easily forgive. You don't easily get irritated. Something happens. You see a case. Your, your, your faith is alive to pray and speak. Twelve hours later. <laughs> sure, don't finish. Can you can you be as spiritual one minute after your prayer? No, can you be as spiritual twelve hours after your prayer as you were just one minute after your prayer? Real life experiences and history of the history of the saints show us that you can't. It doesn't happen like that. So one key is begin to try to structure your life in such a way that the distance, the the, the period of time between this prayer and the next one is shortened. When you do that, you increase the consciousness of the presence of God in your life. Because before the consciousness, the awareness that your prayer in the morning created, before it expires, you go again. And that is how, at one point in time, you begin to have the impression that you are clothed with the presence of God. There are times when I walk and I, I am clothed with the, with the presence of God. There are times when, even when I minister to people, there are times when, okay, I minister by faith. Because His word is true and I have learned to draw in His bank account because we pray in His name. But there are times, man, of, there are two ways of ministry, there are two kinds of ministrations. There is the faith ministration and there's the one where it's not faith. The anointing is on you like like a garment, like a vest. It's just there. You don't need to you don't need to have faith. You don't need to. It's there. The power is there. And sometimes you have that awareness of the presence of God. It becomes so real. You get what I'm saying. And when you are in that situation, and you even begin to minister, you begin to lead people in worship from that place. I'm telling you, it's different. It's different. You yourself, you know the difference. You can tell a clear difference. So, what was it? That was the secret of Smith Wigglesworth. 
So Mrs. Wigglesworth said, I have never prayed for more than 30 minutes. But I never stay for more than 30 minutes without praying. That's the summary of Smith Wigglesworth's prayer life. So, when Smith Wigglesworth, even if he has a visitor, there's this history, there's this, uh, another man of God, uh, I think it's Robert Slyardon, the one who wrote the books, God's Generals. He tells the story of how he paid a visit to Smith Wigglesworth as a young pastor, you know, in his early days. He went to see Pa Smith. This is when he went there. He arrived. Pa welcomed him. They start talking five minutes. He says, let's stop here, young man. And he starts praying. He doesn't, he doesn't tell you if you want to pray with me or you want to. He just starts praying. You yourself, you collect your shame. You also join him. If you don't just want to stay there and be watching him, you don't even know when he will end. <laughs> Thank God that his own was not too long. So he will pray for about 25 minutes. 20, 25 minutes. And then, alright, young man, so, uh, what were, what were you, what, what did you say brought you here again? And they continued their conversation. About 30 minutes, 20 something minutes later, he says, young man, let's stop here. You pray again. You can spend the whole day with him, or he will not drive you away. But the fact that a human being has entered his environment, does not change his prayer pattern. You either join him or you collect your whatever you came with and you go. He, it was so strong that even when he visited the Queen of Scotland, he went, he was Caught by the queen because of how much he was shaking England and you know Scotland, all the miracles that was that this man was performing, and of course you know that he had a strong ministry, I think, in South Africa. Anyway, in many countries, this guy went and met the queen while he was with the queen. There are dimensions of men of God. When we see today, men of God who tremble, who bow before small ministers who are peeing in bed at night, trembling, being threatened by demons because of the wicked covenants that they went into. See, man of God, you know, you enter the man, the man of one small minister. Well, who is a minister? Who? Who is a minister? Who is a minister? Who? You see some men of God who put it on their CV. I was received by the minister of, of territorial ministry. It's on his CV. The next preaching, he must say it on pulpit. When he goes to conferences where there are other pastors, he must mention the, how he laid hands on this minister. He was received in the office of that one. He was received by the president of so and so nation. And so what? So what? There are men of God in this world 
that presidents tremble like this, like small boys in front of them, and they don't even talk about it. They don't even talk about it. Smith Wigglesworth with the Queen and you know what kings and you know you know monarchies. You know what a king is. He's not a president though. King and queen is not president and vice president or prime minister. No. These people had the power of life and death over their people. Queen is just angry for you like that for nothing. Your body leaves the palace in two pieces. Do you hear what I'm saying? While he was with the queen, he says, Your Majesty, will you excuse me for some moment? He did not, he doesn't wait for the answer. He's informing of God to go and pray and come back. So one of his secrets was that he made sure and that is why the, the power of God was constant in his life. That is what kills us at times. You are so up during the time and then you are down during the... Oh Lord. I'm talking even, even me. Even me. I'm not, talking, I'm not saying is what kills you at times. I'm putting myself there. Because I'm not all the times at the same level. You, uh, the man of God told us yesterday that Prosperity is progress. You keep ad- advancing. So prospering, even in our walk with God, in our prayer lives, is we keep advancing. Keep advancing. Keep advancing. You get what I'm saying? So... Just try this. It's not religion. You know, some people also use it religiously. But there are some very powerful spiritual principles in it. When the Bible says that Daniel and his friends prayed three times a day. Telling you praying three times a day is better than praying once a day. It's not about performance. It's some spiritual realities. Because God knows how the human soul is. He knows that we do not have the ability to maintain our consciousness of His presence. His presence doesn't reduce, but it's our consciousness of that presence. Our consciousness of the reality of that presence. That drops. The higher your consciousness... It's not mental consciousness, it is spiritual consciousness. The higher your consciousness of your presence, the greater your command over what that that presence can do. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so when you begin to multiply your prayer moments, at one point in time you begin to discover that what was just a consciousness Becomes like a garment. Can you imagine Peter meeting this man at the gate called Beautiful? And he tells him, Such as I have. You see, there are, there are dimensions of ministry. There's the dimension of ministry where 
You speak in faith according to the word. And there's another dimension of ministry where you don't speak in faith according to the word. There's another dimension of ministry where you know that what the word says isn't just your inheritance. It is something that is your experiential possession and you can distribute it at will. This man said, such as I have, I give to you. (laughs) Ah. And indeed the man received. (laughs) You have to understand that Peter was not at the level of praying to see something happen. Mm -mm. What was their secret? These guys had multiple times of prayer. In most cases. Hallelujah. So just try that. Even when you are in the office. Sometimes, just go to the bathroom. Stay there for five minutes. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Worship the Lord. You go back to your working station. Two hours later, you go again. Even for five minutes. You will discover that you become more aware. And, and after some time, you begin to feel the anointing. How many of you have ever felt the anointing? Not just that we lay hands on you and you felt the anointing. No, you are, you are like this, you feel the anointing. This thing is not just for men of God. Oh, I feel the anointing. The power of God is in this hand. I feel something in my hand. <laughs> Somebody must touch this hand today. It's not just for the men of God. These are natural, normal experiences for the believer. You're worshipping God in your room. You're even in a taxi. You just close your eyes. Begin to feel His presence. Sign number two that you're not praying. This lack of demonstrated power. You're not praying. Let me take ten more minutes and we are done. Lack of demonstrated power. When you're not, when the power of God is not in demonstration in your life, it's the sign that you're not praying, or that you're not praying well. Now, by when when I talk about the demonstration of power, it's not just what you see preachers do on pulpit. That's not what I'm talking about. That one is just part of it. Lack of demonstrated power. Every believer must have demonstrated power. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to how many of us? To every man. 
to profit with all. To profit everyone. The demonstration of the Spirit. The word used there is the manifestation of the Spirit. And that word is the Greek word epiphania. The same word that is used in other places where the Bible talks about manifestation appearing. Like in Jude, those who have loved his appearing. It's the same word. Epiphania. So Paul is saying that in the life of every believer, some of the glories of the new creation must be made visible. That's what it is. Epiphania. Something about the fact that you are a child of God must be visible. He says the epiphania of the Spirit is given to every one of us. Every believer. Listen to me. There are some virtues of God that must be visible in your life. Yeah. There are certain things that must happen visibly. Lack of demonstrated power. All your gifts are dormant. All your gifts are dormant. Do you know that if you really pray the way you should pray, if you have an effective prayer life, your gifts will not be dormant. When you pray, your gifts are alive. You get what I'm saying? All believers can manifest all the gifts of the Spirit. But based, but depending on our callings, some, you know, there are some gifts that are majors in some people's life while they are minors in other people's lives, right? But all believers can manifest all spiritual gifts. But at least when you have identified a few, one or two or three, that are yours, that are part of your majors, when you really pray, you begin to see yourself growing in the manifestation of those gifts. It is not for preachers. It's for everybody. For singers. Everybody. You guys can give word of knowledge. I remember when I went to, to Boya. I had just arrived in Boya. I went, I attended a program. One ACF, so one day we invited, uh, this sister. She used to be in CYJ. But she was very close to, 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 to Afekam as well. Christabel Kamara. Ah! This one sister that blessed me. Now she's a mother. She's a mama. I should not even call her sister. She's my, she's a mother. Hallelujah. Now she's Mrs. Ferrim. Pastor Mrs. Christabel Ferrim. That mama shook me in those days. This is the first lady, soul minister. She was ministering ACF, leading us in worship. And then she stops. She calls one sister. She says, sister. She begins to give her a word of knowledge. I say, eh. So some ministers too can do this. 
She will lay hands. You see people falling, going down under the power. Soul minister. And she was loaded with the word. It is through her, it's by watching her minister. In those days as a young believer that I understood that a soul minister must be full of the word. Must be loaded with the word. The secret to the power in her ministry was her fellowship with God and her knowledge of the word. Christabel. Oh, Mama Christa, if you hear this message, I salute you. I love you. You impacted me. Hallelujah. So those were the elders that, that motivated us. I've never told her this. She doesn't even know. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So some of your gifts must be awakened. It's not just for preachers, for some ministers, for industry. It's for everybody. Even you, that businessman, that brother. Some of you, your job in the kingdom is to bring money home. It's not there to be going left and right. Ah, no, no, no. So some of you, your gifts... Do you know that you need the word of wisdom in business? Do you know that in business you need the word of knowledge? Word of knowledge can help you in business. Yes. Discerning of spirits. Who, who told you that God gave us those spiritual gifts just, just for church business? Huh? And it is because you are not aware that those things can help you in real life out there. You're not aware. You don't know it. By the word of wisdom, you, you, you can know how to reply a business partner. By the word of wisdom. By the word of knowledge. You can convince somebody who didn't, who didn't want to invest in your business. You just dash him some small information about his life. Or about one of his ventures that had failed in the past. He says, how did you know? He says, because in my family we know things. <laughs> Tell you. So when you begin to give yourself to prayer, your prayer life, your, your gifts become alive. They stop being dormant. You get what I'm saying? They stop being dormant. So lack of demonstrated power. When you're not praying, you cannot demonstrate Christ at will. The minister of the gospel who is soaked in prayer gets to a place, or the believer who is soaked in prayer gets to a place where there are some areas where you can demonstrate Christ at will. At will. What did I say? At will. Whether there's choir to sing there to back you up, to, to, to warm you up on. No, at will. At will. Prophet Elijah said, at my word. I'm the one who have decided. I have decided. Because I have said it. At my word. (laughs) 
You need to allow the Spirit of God through your fellowship with Him in a consistent prayer life. You need to allow the Spirit of God to take you to that place where certain things can begin to happen through you at will. Do you get what I'm saying? There are things that happen in my house at will, at will. In my house, healing happens at will. At will. When one of my kids is, it's at will. They know that. So the day I command my daughter to be healed, and she doesn't get healed instantly. I know that, no, this is not the normal pattern. You see, some of you are surprised when the miracle happens. Some of us are surprised when it doesn't happen. Because I know that in that sphere, in my family sphere, my covenant with God is that as far as my family especially is concerned, and God gave me a strong revelation about that one, everything I say happens. Everything. One day I told my wife, don't get worried. Nothing can happen to these people. I told my wife that even even if this child falls from the fourth story, Hits the ground, she will not die. Because I have said it. One day Sienna was eating, was eating fish. She swallowed a bone. She was two years old. My wife began to panic. I said, woman, calm down. She panicked. I took Sienna. I did like this on her. On her throat. I just hit it twice. I said, bone come out. The bone came out from the mouth of the child. If that miracle case, it doesn't happen with some other people. With my daughter, it must happen. Because the father told me that I have unlimited jurisdiction over the lives of my children. Man of God, what you say concerning your children must happen. I'm telling you. You need to get to a place where there is at least one or two areas in your life as a child of God where some things happen at will. Daddy Pierre told us the story of this woman. Ah, he went to America for a retreat. He says, the woman who, who maintains that retreat center, I think it was like that. If, if I miss some details of the story, Reverend Pascal will correct me. Man of God, he says, they don't pay. You don't pay anything to be in a retreat center. You know, so they just have partners, you know, people who at times will donate, send support, but they don't pay. And the woman who keeps that place, she doesn't ask anything to anybody. She says, at times, one day, they needed $300 because she will count the number of people who are in that place and, you know, the needs, they need food. For the next day. She takes the basket. Empty basket. Man of God. She comes and kneels down. She says father. We need $300. For the food of all, all the guests tomorrow. 
she stays there with a basket in her hand. She says, Father, I ask you, I'm waiting for the $300. She doesn't go to the bank. She holds the basket, physical basket. She closes her eyes, begins to fellowship with God. Money begins to appear in the basket. She counts it. If it's not yet up to 300, she says, Daddy, is still... <laughs> the money is not enough. Money appears. She does it at will. When she needs money, she knows that money will appear in the basket. A human being like us, with this same faith. Do you hear what I'm saying? For you, it can be something else. For you, it, it, it can be something else. For somebody here, it can be that you, you, you have million dollar business ideas at will. Every one of us must have at least one area of your, in your life where you never fail. <laughs> when you're never, ever defeated. Never. And some saints in history have demonstrated that this is possible. You see, knowledge is key, but not sufficient in accessing this level of command. So when you acquire the knowledge, build that fellowship. That brings the reality of the knowledge. Listen to this. Solomon is a great biblical example of the fact that those who know most don't always succeed best with God. Unless they learn to stay in the reality of His presence and intimacy through prayer. Solomon was far more knowledgeable than his father David. But there's something David had which he did not have. Solomon had unlimited knowledge and wisdom, but he failed. Because in the hierarchy, in the hierarchy of vital needs for the spirit of man, knowledge isn't first. Fellowship with God is first. David had fellowship with God. And then he made some blunders as far as other things of life are concerned. But he was stronger than his son Solomon. David remains the reference for Israel, the greatest king that ever lived. Solomon, with all of his knowledge, turned to other gods. Karosia <laughs> Paladosha. 
Solomon with all of his wisdom was not able to raise a worthy successor. Do you know what was his weakness? Wisdom and knowledge without fellowship with God. Without sustained fellowship with God. So those who know most don't always succeed best with God. Even though their knowledge is an advantage. So take advantage of the knowledge. The Bible says wisdom is the principal thing. But it really seems to me that in history, wisdom being the principal thing, there is something that that principal thing cannot prosper very well in. Uh, cannot prosper very well without. Hallelujah. Let us stand to our feet. Let me end here. So I just discussed these two. But in my introduction, if you were keen, you must have gotten some other ones. One of the ways that you will know that your prayer life has become alive again is that you begin to enjoy it again. When you begin to enjoy praying again, you know your prayer life has become alive again. You need to enjoy it. When prayer is the thing that you keep postponing throughout the day, you keep, just, just keep postponing it. You just keep postponing until you, and the day just ends and you, ah, you are tired. You go to bed, you sleep. You wake up the next morning. I will pray later. You keep postponing. Is this is the one thing you keep postponing and postponing and postponing? And, ah! It happens to all of us. So sometimes you you just you just wake up one. You just keep postponing it, and before you realize, you have postponed it like that for two months, and you become dry like bunga fish. Get what I'm saying? No, don't postpone it. Do it first. The secret to prayer is do it first. Do it first. One of my favorite quotes on prayer is by Martin Luther, the great reformer. Martin Luther said something. He said, I have so much to do. You know, whenever I want to use my busy life as an excuse... (laughs) I remember the Holy Ghost brings to my to my remembrance Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, I have so much to do, but I must first pray three hours. <laughs> that was the discipline of Martin Luther. The secret is do it first. And then do it often. Hallelujah. So just lift up your hands.
and and say, Father, I receive grace. I receive a refreshing of my prayer life. I receive grace to be consistent in spending time alone with you daily. Father, I don't want to impress you. I know you can't be impressed. All I want is to know you. And experience the reality of all the glorious inheritance you have given me. Spirit of God, help me. Help me succumb. Help me give in to your reminders. When you beckon, let my spirit be willing. Let my soul be willing. Holy Spirit, help me be willing. Help me be willing. I break the power of procrastination. I break every form of laziness. In Jesus' name. Amen.